Welcome back to another episode of Aboutcast, where me and Julian push the limits of human potential through ridiculous conversations. How are you doing, Julian? I am doing great. I'm happy to be back. I'm ready to expand on some of my own personal mind and learn a little bit about the topic at hand today. Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, one thing that me and Julian are going to be doing more often uh, as far as like good habits and things that we'll be doing on the podcast, we'll be doing more uh, really beneficial things. Me and Julian are really driven with, you know, self-improvement. And so we want to share that with you guys. And the first way we're going to do that is share a book that I just recently read about leadership. And I think leadership is a quality that everyone can expand on. I don't think anyone is born a perfect leader, nor do I think anyone cannot be a leader. But I do believe it is something that you can use your environment and different lessons and tidbits to improve yourself in that role to help lead you know, a group project, a team, your household, whatever that may be, to step into that role and be confident where you are. I think you hit the nail right on the top of the head with kind of, you know, leadership is a quality and skill that will only benefit any situation that you're in. And there's no reason why you can't be and why you shouldn't be perfecting your craft as far as being a leader. And without further ado, the book title is Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink and Lake Leif Babin. And this is, these guys are, I'm sure you've heard of them before. Uh, Jocko has his own podcast. They have a leadership company called uh, Echelon Front. And basically these guys write a book through their leadership experiences, uh, being Na or Navy SEAL platoon commanders and task commanders in the, uh, about the 2000s of, you know, going to Iraq, specifically Ramadi, and other situations throughout their life with leadership. And before we dive into the information of the, that you gained from this book, Jordan, I'd like to hear how you came about the book and what format you read the book on. Was it an ebook? Was it a Kindle? Was it the physical copy? Just some background on, you know, how you how you personally were experiencing the book and came across it. Absolutely. So the the way that I like ingest books at this point in my life is purely on the Kindle. And there's a few reasons for that. One, I think it's just uh you know, I do really like kind of having the material of a book and how books feel. But in my life, I just can't afford to just be hauling around like 15 books at a time. Um, you know, I don't have the space. I don't want to have to like worry about that. And, you know, being so agile, you can download a, a book um, that you wouldn't be able to access at your like local library or, you know, Barnes and Noble. So that's how I ingest them. Um, the reason that I stumbled upon this book specifically is I've been well aware of kind of like Jocko Willink, um, through his podcast and through a few different things. Tim Ferriss is one avenue that I know him from. And so I, knew that this was going to be a good book, um, you know, extreme ownership. And I knew that it would kind of enhance my leadership skills. But the one thing that I didn't know about this book that I did get out of it is, you know, how, 
how dynamic it is and how like really actionable this stuff is once you kind of internalize it and the way that they display it is extraordinary um you know crystal clear and through really really strong and decisive stories that you know reading walking away from it you're like this is exactly why this is important for a leadership quality and this is how i can implement it and not only in a combat scenario but also in a business scenario that they break it down in and i think that's a great way to do so in the way you touched on it in terms of analyzing and digesting this book um, you know, based on what I've seen so far and what we're going into, it's kind of those, one of those books that you don't want to necessarily fly through. You want to think through the topics and relate it at hand to you, and it's going to be a lot more beneficial. So as we move further into this podcast, you know, as a listener, I would encourage you not only just to listen, but maybe actively engage your own mind on what information Jordan learned and how that pertains to your life or your situation. So not only is this beneficial to you, but maybe moving forward, if you do end up reading the book, you can digest that for a second time and maybe visualize those results again and have a prior understanding while doing so, so that it is applicable and you have a hard take home. Exactly. If you want to derive as much value as you can from this podcast and this book, you have to read the book yourself. Uh, what you're going to be getting from this podcast is an experience through my filter of my life, my thinking, my philosophies. And so to really pull something out of it yourself and get the most, you're going to have to drop in, read the book, which I highly recommend um, so that you can be the best leader you can be. And without further ado, we'll take our first break and then get right into it. Welcome back. I hope you're ready for some really, really good action, some really, really good lessons after that break. Uh, right now, the first thing I want to say about this book as far as epitomizing it is this quote that, or not a quote, but something I derived from it. One of the most impactful uh, phrases that I kind of like twisted a little bit, um, that is, I will be a man who is not just physically tough, but one who outthinks my adversity. And I think that that is one of the lines that hit me the hardest of this book. And it wasn't exactly that. I changed a little bit of the word, so it made it more personal as far as the perspective of the reader who reads that sentence. But that in itself is one of the most powerful things that I probably read from this book alongside of all the great leadership lessons. And so when you originally read that quote or section of the book, did it resonate you resonate with you immediately or was it something that was built on? Um, or confirm some thoughts you had in the past? Uh, you know, what were your initial reactions and feelings when you read that or understood that portion? So what specifically touched me about that ex like excerpt was, um, so it was in the chapter two, which is called No Bad Teams, Only Bad Leaders. And uh, Leif Babin talks about how uh, in Bud's, um, they go through some extreme, extreme stuff and you not only have to be physically tough, but there will be a time when physically your body doesn't keep up and it becomes a mental game of, 
Um, this is something that I can't just like out strength, out speed, out endure. This is something that I have to outthink. And I think that that's the perfect lesson um, in life because uh, a lot of things in life, as far as like even physically. Um, so right now I'm doing 75 hard, which I think I mentioned briefly, but basically it's I'm working out twice a day. Uh, I'm reading 10 pages of a book. I'm following a diet and basically it's for self mental discipline. And the first thing that you hear when you think about that is like, wow, he's doing a lot of like physical stuff. Um, but really what it is, it's not a physical challenge at all. It's a mental challenge because your body usually can go on long before you, like long after you quit. Um, and you quit because of, you know, mentally you can't get there. And so I think that that is the specific, like perfectly points out uh, what that is to me is that, you know, it's not really being physically tough enough for problems. It's being mentally tough enough for them. And do you find during that challenge, say 75 hard, for example, that one of the biggest feats that you have to do is prepare yourself or take ownership yourself of the challenge because it is in its own right you versus yourself can i do this for 75 days without slipping up can i lead myself to this end line and see the results i want to see or stay on this track is that you know going into that is that something that you personally took upon yourself when doing this task? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everything I do in this challenge, um, thankfully I have a group. So as far as, you know, feeling like I'm alone going through it, it's not as bad. And there's people that I can relate to, which is, you know, really strong, um, as far as like the rallying effect, but yeah, absolutely. It's all me. It's all me. And in this book, it, we, they go through exactly what extreme ownership is and, you know, how, how it affects everybody. And so I think that that actually is a perfect segue to get into the first chapter, which is called extreme ownership. And so when you hit into this first chapter, um, you've kind of briefed me beforehand on, you know, what extreme ownership has meant. But when you went through this first chapter, what are some things that you surmised from that portion? Um, so one of the main things that I took away is, um, you know, the real, real clear idea that on any team or organization, all responsibility for success and failure rests with the leader. And it's not really an easy thing to claim naturally, but basically it's the most necessary thing from what I see for improvement, growth, and learning throughout life. And kind of the way I think about it is there's only two options. It either owns you or you can do something about it. And, and there it is. So either it owns you and you're a victim and it happened to you and you can't do anything about it. Or it's a situation where, um, you know, you can grow and you can become something that owns it. And like personally for me, like I am try to be as black, like black and white as possible and like staunch that I refuse to be a victim in my life. Cause I can't afford to, as far as I have really, really brief amount of existence. 
and I need to self-improve and like get better constantly. Um, and I can't run into something where I say, oh, well, I guess I'm just going to let that one win and walk away without learning a lesson or, um, you know, getting something from any adversity or experience. And so I think that extreme ownership on that is that for me. You know, just no matter what happens, you have to improve. You have to move past it because I think in life lessons, you, you either learn them or it's going to reteach them to you as far as, you know, a lot of people feel like, or, you know, I think that everyone can put themselves in a place or remember where like shit, um, you know, like I didn't learn that lesson and look, it's happening again. Or you've seen those people that are exactly the epitome of that, that just continually never learn their lesson and, tr- and life reteaches it to them multiple times. Right. And I, it's something that in at least American society, I don't think it's something that comes natural is the ability to take all of that or that perspective onto oneself. I think many people use various excuses or distractions as a cop-out when you are trying to improve or reach a goal and something doesn't go your way. A lot of people look at and say, oh, I was late to work, not because I woke up 15 minutes late, but because the car in front of me was going slow and things like that, that realistically, when you have to look at the picture as a whole, I think it's, it's very hard to confront the truth when you know you're at fault. And it's very rare that you find people who have the ability to take that ownership of their own mistakes and use it as motivation or a way to push themselves forward as opposed to pushing it off on someone else so that they feel better about how they failed as opposed to, you know, as you mentioned, being extremely black or white on things, not being able to take on that. Oh, that's a hundred percent on me. People love to say, uh, it could have been on me, but it was more likely on something else. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. And I think that, well, especially since I'm such a, I think that I'm so like, you know, gray scale, like, you know, there's no perfect meanings or no perfect situation a lot, a lot of times in life. So I know how it can be a gradient and not so black and white, but I think I'm staunch in that respect and to reframe it into this aspect of leadership that this book takes. Um, the reason why you'd want to take extreme ownership as a leader is because it enables everybody else to take ownership. So for instance, um, in this book, the first chapter, it talks about a really big situation where there's blue on blue, which is, um, you know, friendly fire in the, in a war. And that's the most horrific thing that you could think of in the military. And basically a big thing happens, um, and Jocko was the one manning it. And so basically at the end of the day, um, his bosses came down and said, Hey, we want a brief of what exactly happened and why it happened and we'll be here tomorrow. And so after thinking a lot and just kind of mulling it about, he kind of surmised in this big room, everyone was there, the people that, you know, the people that were under his command and things of that nature. And so he asked, Hey, whose fault is this? And, you know, somebody raised their hand and said, Hey, Jocko, um, 
It's my fault. I didn't let you know that my team was moving to a different location. And that's why we didn't know that that was us in that building. And that's why the blue blue on blue happened. And he said, no. And then another guy stepped up and said, no, it's my fault. X, Y, and Z down the line. And then Jocko himself said, no, it is my fault. And in that sense itself, you know, when you take people off of the defensive and I think, you know, who's to blame? Everyone gets defensive saying like, no, it wasn't my fault. But once you take ownership of that and you let people stop becoming defensive and get out of their own way, then you can even be somebody who is improving your subordinates through taking ownership of everything because it's no longer hey it's my it's your fault for doing this it's it's my fault and this is how i'm going to get you better for the situation so this doesn't happen again and i think that that was kind of a really excellent chapter to just jump off in the book as far as like this is how extreme ownership as a leader affects everybody not only your subordinates not only you but uh, kind of a radius. So above you, beside you, below you. Yeah, I think that's um, a very, you know, I don't know if it's unnatural, but it's just something that people don't understand when it comes to a success, being a successful leader. And it's something, you know, you and I talked about a little bit before this podcast, but the point of, you know, being a leader means you must own that problem in order to help find solutions to that problem, or you're going to inhibit performance. Um, and so I think that's, you know, another topic from this book that, from what I understood, resonated with you in terms of uh, moving towards chapter two on that philosophy as being a leader is understanding, you know, a, a lot of that funnel starts with you. And by being that example can leave a lasting impact on your team that they feel respected and trusted and understand that you know, you are in control or you are in power or you are some sort of authority, but they believe in you when you're showing as a leader that what you're doing is best for the team, not best just for you. That That's really well put. And to add on to that, the kind of what you show, and I think that you roundabout said kind of as a leader, you set the example. And I think that that's perfectly clear and even in the book i think this was one of the best like sentences or excerpts as well it, it said pretty much um before like obviously the chapter two is called no bad teams only bad leaders and another like you know but once again it sounds familiar but a leader is the single greatest factor of team success and then it goes into kind of like you know what the example of a leader and how you kind of uh, coax out performance of a team. And one of those things is the standard is not what you preach. It is what you tolerate. And so what that means is that regardless of what you're telling your team or what you're saying yourself, it's what you let go that is accepted, not the things that you preach. And through that, you got to think that basically um, you are the manifestation of the standard. So, or what your actions are, the manifestation of the standard of the team. So if you show up late, if you, um, kind of are disheveled as far as like, you don't look appropriate. Um, you know, another thing that this, this chapter told me or like showed me was that, 
you know, people notice, man. If you're a leader, people notice. Like, they pay really, really close attention. So you're not going to be able to get away with anything. So any miss up, uh, slip up that you do is way more expensive than your slip up because it's the team slip up. And then the person that's right below you or watching you says, oh, okay. So if Jordan, if Jordan can show up to work that and, you know, not have his shirt ironed or, uh, make sure that he's looking sharp and professional, then that means it's cool for me too. And so through that, um, you know, as far as there's no bad teams, it's the leader that points a team in a bad direction. I think that that's another like really strong key to pull from that chapter as well. Right. And to me, in that aspect, this can sound very dominant towards leaders that it's plug and play, that it's easy to take these steps and change into a successful leader. But I think the thing that isn't accounted for in a lot of these types of books is the foundation that one builds. And in that instance, I mean, some people see leaders as a key to a locked door. Like they know how to open it and they know how to get through it. But to me, I see a leader as the frame for the door and the door itself and the employee is the key. Because if you build that foundation that is helping hold up that door and keeping things sturdy and creating that atmosphere as soon as you get the right team around you or um, group or staff then they are the key that helps you get through that problem and that kind of makes me think of you know later down the line that once you've built the the foundation I hate to jump far forward here but the one that really interested me Jordan that you had talked about was uh, chapter five prioritize and execute. So chapter five was a really, really exciting read um, as far as the battle scene, um, just because and another thing, too, is prioritize and execute is something that we live every single day and have to be good at. So I think that this one's a really, really, really good one to talk about. Uh, good take, Julian. And pretty much what it means is that, you know, it, to go back to the war scene that I was talking about was really cool. Uh, basically, um, Leif and his team were um, trying to, uh, you know, they were stuck in this building. And usually what happens is if they're like stationed in a building for too long, um, the insurgents will put bombs on like basically stairwells and everything so that when they come out, basically everyone gets murdered. Like everyone gets killed. So knowing this, he had a bomb tech go out there and just check before he left. And another thing was there's only one way in and one way out. So they they knew what to expect as far as if there was going to be a bomb somewhere. Bomb tech said, yep, there is one. And so the next thing that they did was, this is really badass. They decided to use sledgehammers and break through the wall instead of, you know, defusing the bomb. Bro, it was crazy. So they just like literally just freaking broke through this cement, like concrete wall. And then they're on the, another rooftop. And so the plan was, okay, so we're going to set off the bomb at a specific time. We're going to all get through this, you know, broken concrete wall. And then once they got on there, they're on another rooftop. And so as they're going, the bomb fuse is going. So they have a couple seconds to make sure everyone's all right. Uh, one of the seals falls through the roof and the lands on the ground. So basically he's out of cover. Uh, Leif 
has people that he has to make sure that everyone's out of the building that's about to like you know like blow up and figure out how to get down to that seal and the only way is a stairwell that is broken so prioritize and execute what do you do first in that situation and so that is kind of like why i thought that was such a cool thing like you know you could put yourself in that situation like shit what am i supposed to do and you know the really keys real big keys is that, you know, first as a leader, you got to stay calm. You got to stay calm when everything's kind of, uh, like really scary. And the reason why from like what I surmise is because the only way that you're going to make the best decisions for the team is if you stay calm and, you know, this, a stable leader is extremely important in those situations because you are the medium of execution. So you can't, you know, you can't afford to freak out in a situation like that. So, you know, Julian, if you're in that situation and we were all looking for you for guidance and, you know, all this crazy stuff happens and then you start panicking and losing your cool, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to think, oh, shoot, you know, a normal person be like, shoot, Julian's freaking out. Uh, that means the situation is really, really bad. Yikes. I'm so scared. I'm not going to be able to execute even if Julian says something. So that is the first key to, you know, the first key to prioritize and execute is be calm, assess your options as far as, okay, what's the most like, you know, what's the most immediate threat? Let's secure that. What's the most threat after that securitize that. And so that is prioritize and execute in a nutshell right there. And I thought that was just the most insane, insane, like, you know, story. And it was super cool. So, you know, really big thumbs up to Leif in that situation for handling like a boss. He took care of business and the really craziest thing to me about that is once again, this is a very extreme situation dealing with a war and a battle and, you know, life or death type accident. And obviously that doesn't apply to everyone's life. But the thing that remains true here to me that I found most fascinating was that you're never taught how to be rational and logical in extreme situations. You go to fifth grade, you go to your freshman year of college, you get your master's degree. There's never an instance where you're taking, say, just a regular test and people are screaming and yelling and things are going all around or someone's broken a bone or a car crash has happened or something vicious is occurring in the background, right? And that's why I think... You know, this portion of understanding that building that rationale over time, become a planner and being in tune with your team or your squad or your family to understand those routes of action once they occur and how to hold oneself during those moments can be a game changing mental mindset and skill to have as a leader because as jordan said is if everyone else is flipping out and then you also lose your shit no one has their shit together and nothing's getting done in an efficient um and you know rational way of doing things and i think that was one of the biggest take-homes that i learned from jordan when he was 
describing some of the points of this book to me. And I look forward to reading, you know, once I get into the book in the near future. Exactly. And to even further your point, none of this stuff is taught formally. You know, high pressure situations and how to handle them aren't taught formally. And that's what I think, you know, natural leaders, because I do believe there's natural leaders and then you could build leaders have in some cases is that ability to take a step back out of high pressure situations and accurately assess what's going on and then take the correct action off of that. Um, and to further on, just because I know uh, time sensitive, but I want to sandwich two chapters together and uh, chapter six, decentralized command and chapter seven, planning. And it, it seems kind of odd, but decentralized command is basically that you give your team command. So decentralize it perfectly. I mean, I think it's quite clear when it said like, you know, those two, those two words um, paint the really clear picture of what's going on. So as a leader, you have to give your team responsibility and ownership. And the reason why is because when somebody has an idea of their own, they're going to work harder to execute and work more proficiently than they were if it was somebody else's idea. So when that when that happens, it is meaning that, you know, I'm on a team and, uh, you know, I have a subordinate that's supposed to be, let's say uh, I have a sales team and I have a subordinate or like, you know, somebody I'm working with who is the door to door salesman and I oversee him. And so basically, instead of saying, hey, this is how you're going to do this, decentralize the command and say, OK, so your job is to plan um, how to, you know, your route for knocking on doors when you're going to knock on them in your pitch. That person is going to work way harder knowing that they have ownership of that than if you were to like plan it out all yourself. And not only does that make them work harder, but another perfect thing, kind of taking a step back, like I just mentioned before, when they present that plan to you, you'll have a better idea and better way of, you know, thinking about possible contingencies or possible problems with that plan themselves. Just like everybody knows, you know, sometimes when you're in the weeds, you can't really see uh, the bigger picture. And that's a perfect reason why, you know, on top of obviously people working really hard and the trust that you build with them to lead uh, helps with as well. And another thing that the reason why I think that it is super good and should be sandwiched with a plan is the plan. It has to be simple. And so when you know, as a leader and you're making plans, you have to be able to, you know, know with 100% certainty that that plan is executed and easily understood by the lowest member or the, you know, the weakest piece chain in the link, so to speak. And the reason why those two are sandwiched together, because if I, um, if I had a plan that was really convoluted, and, you know, the goal was super, really complex and hard to understand. Then how is somebody who didn't think of the plan going to execute on tactics on how to execute it in their specific niche? So that's why that these two things go hand in hand is because first you need a, 
uh, you know, and plan. How about we change it to goal? You need a goal that is simple and easily realizable. And once you have that, basically using decentralized command, you create this organism that's one really hardworking, you know, takes ownership and pride of the plans because you allowed them to lead on some of their plans themselves. And on top of that, if the since the plane is simple, they'll be able to adapt and react in really, really quick and dynamic ways because, you know, if the plane is to get to this specific spot on the map, then you know that if there's some obstacle, all you have to do is go around it and then you're back at it. But if I said to, you know, go to a spot that had, you know, a mountain and a red house and had a field next to it, and it's in this general area, and you found that there was an obstacle in front of you, it would be way harder to think, huh, well, maybe maybe this is the thing. Maybe I should go through this obstacle uh, because this might be the spot. Instead of being very clear and specific, um, you know, it just allows the team and the dynamic to work that much more efficiently. So I think that's why those two things should be sandwiched together, and it makes the team just like uh, one organism, so to speak, more than anything. Decentralizing the command makes the team tighter, in a sense, with a simple plan. And now hearing these various points from extreme ownership, I think it is important to listen to the quote Jordan spoke on at the beginning and see if your personal mind has slightly changed when you hear the quote Jordan is about to say again in terms of what you've heard in this small 30-minute topic and how you visualized these different elements of becoming a leader and building upon uh, a leadership role uh, and how, you know, this can be interpreted another way. So one more time, I will be a person who is not just physically tough, but one who outthinks my adversity. Let that sit with you for a second. And uh, just a quick preface, I'm a Julian, you're about to take the reins again. Uh, you know, I went through a third of my notes. So, you know, if you guys want to hear a bit more about this, I mean, I could talk all day. There's literally diamonds and well, not literally, but diamonds as far as, you know, ideas for leadership in this book um, that have not been addressed by us that I think are really important and impactful. Um, you know, I will make it a thing to put my notes in the actual, you know, in the show notes so you guys can read through them. Or if you want us to do a podcast on them, even better. And expect Jocko and Leif's second book, Dichotomy of Leadership, on the podcast, probably in the coming future. And at this point, I think we've given you a very pin-sized light on the assets that can be gained from extreme ownership, not trying to spoil the book or trying to push our own opinions on how these ideas are derived or what it could mean to you. I think it is very important, as Jordan alluded to in the very beginning, that everyone reads different. Everyone reads in different forms. Everyone is going to perceive and digest knowledge in various ways. Some things you may agree with, some things you may disagree with. And that's healthy on both ends to understand 
why you disagree with it and why you agree with it can make for a very experiential moment while reading these books and making those take-homes a little bit more important or more likely to catch on in your own life. Truly, guys, this stuff is amazing. Um, And I think it'll help you not only as a leader, but as a person and as somebody going through, you know, life and life being hard and challenging and sometimes not being clear. uh, I think this stuff will help and we'll keep on delivering it to you because you know you guys are the best and uh you know i can't wait to see you guys again here really soon and as always we thank you guys for listening we hope you enjoyed this podcast go ahead and rate the podcast like it share it if you enjoyed what you heard we're about cast a weekly podcast hosted by jordan and julian and we'll catch you next time